The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, talking about great guests, we have a great guest to talk about patient privacy rights. And we're going to be speaking with... Deborah Peel, who is a medical doctor, and we have had her on our show a couple times before, and it's always so enlightening and inspiring. She is truly a great leader, and she is the nation's leading advocate for patients' rights to control access to sensitive personal information, health information. And that is so important now in the electronic age with all these electronic systems. Let me tell you, if you haven't heard her before, you're going to just love it. She's just full of energy, and she's really a a wonderful privacy advocate. And let me tell you a little bit about her. She has started um, so much work in this area herself, and the lack of health privacy causes millions of people to avoid early diagnosis and treatment for such things as cancer, depression, depression. sexually transmitted diseases, all these things. And she became an expert and privacy warrior to stop patients from being harmed. She is a practicing physician and a Freudian psychoanalyst. And she has just really blossomed into a wonderful leader in the area of privacy that we so much needed. Back in 2004, Deborah formed the patient Privacy Rights. It's a 501c3 nonprofit organization to educate patients, Americans, about the importance of health privacy. Patient Privacy Rights is the world's leading consumer health privacy advocacy organization with over 12,000 members in 50 states. Later on, Dr. Peel founded the Bipartisan Coalition for Patient Privacy. And the coalition membership includes over 50 national organizations, including the Microsoft Corporation. Then in 2009, the Coalition for Patient Privacy worked to ensure privacy and security protections, which were added to HITECH, which this is part of HIPAA legislation. And this is the technology portion of the stimulus bill that we're going to be talking about. And she'll tell you about those protections and what it does. And you can find out more about that at patientprivacyrights.org slash media slash coalition um, uh, pat privacy. 
Then since 2007, Dr. Peel has been named one of the modern healthcare magazines 100 most influential in healthcare people four times. In 2013, she was named one of the top 10 influencers in Health InfoSec by Healthcare Info Security. She is just really wonderful. I'm always so pleased to have her back on. She has so much to share with us, and I'm just so inspired all by the work that she does. You can find out more about what she's doing. And in fact, they, she's going to tell us about the next summit that's coming up in June. And that's you can find out more about that at healthprivacysummit.org, which she's going to talk about. Thank you so much, Deborah, for joining us again. Well, thank you, Mari. What an amazing, wonderful <laughs> introduction. I'm so glad to be here with you and your listeners. Well, you know what? I can only, it can only be wonderful because all the great things that you're doing. So thank you again. Let's talk about the, the state of health privacy right now. What's going on? Well, I am sorry to report the state of health privacy is the same as it's been <laughs> since we talked last. It's the same as it's been since health technologies were introduced. And that unfortunate state is that people, patients, citizens, really have no ways to control who can see and use our most sensitive personal information, health information, from diagnoses to DNA to prescription records. The flows of our data are hidden. We don't know all the users. We don't know what they're using the information for. And, you know, this is, this is really a national tragedy. Um, the reason that, that I started Patient Privacy Rights and worked so hard to restore our control over health information, your audience probably senses this or knows this, most Americans believe they should control their health information. It's right. very sensitive. And, and we actually have longstanding legal and constitutional rights to do just what they expect, to, to decide who can see and use health information. The problem is the systems that are in place today, the technology systems, do not allow that. And so not only is it critical to restore control in health information, but really health, health data, health information about you is the only kind of personal information that we have strong rights to control. If, you know, if you think about it, I mean, look at how much goes on online. Look at how much goes on in, um, well, uh, in the commercial space, yes, you know, when yes. you're out buying things. Right. You, we, we can't negotiate with a phone company not to sell our data. We can't negotiate with a bank not to sell our data. For virtually every other part of our lives besides health, we've been contracted out of control of personal data. And so that's why it's particularly critical to hold on to our rights to control health information because it's the only way in this surveillance economy that we can ever get back control of all the rest of our information online. So it's, it's, it's critical for health, but very frankly, it, it's critical to whether we have any privacy in the digital age as Americans. Right. Now, how do, how do most doctors feel? You know, I... I've noticed that when I've had to go to a dermatologist and I've had to go to different doctors recently, 
I broke my foot. You know, everybody now has iPads and they're writing in all the information about me on my iPad, on their iPad rather. Wow. And that really worries me. Does that worry you? It really should. One of the problems with all the wireless devices now being used for health information is it's the Wild West. Yes. They, they don't even necessarily have strong data security protections, firewalls or encryptions or any, anything like that to protect the data uh, on these devices. That's actually one of the really, really weak links in the whole system of electronic health information is all of the wireless devices. And, you know, some places, some places the devices are secured, uh, you know, certain hospital systems, certain large clinics, they, they, you know, they hire an expensive technology person to make sure and, and buy uh, pr- products to make sure that the data is encrypted and protected and passwords and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but a lot of places don't, and you as a patient, me as a patient, we don't know. In fact, it wasn't long ago my sister-in-law was at a party talking with, um, you know, a physician in the neighborhood who was kind of fr- a friend, and she mentioned she'd had flu, and she got a chest X-ray, and he whipped out, just like you're saying, yeah. his iPad and popped up her chest X-ray. Oh, my goodness. This was not her doctor. Oh, this no. is not her doctor. This is, this is the other thing, you know, in addition to the problems with wireless is hospital systems allow, like a hospital here in Austin, uh, it'll allow all, uh, all 5,000 of the physician and nursing staff to see all 2 million patient records. Oh, my goodness. So, so you know, your neighbor down the street could do what my sister-in-law's neighbor did. So there's, there's all kinds of problems with these systems, and... and the reason that, that I get so concerned about this is many, many people stop seeing doctors for very dangerous, potentially, you know, potentially life-threatening conditions like cancer and depression. Right, or HIV, because, maybe yeah, they're embarrassed. Exactly, because they're afraid that the information won't stay private, and they're right. It doesn't. Yes. It doesn't. And so, you know, this is this is... This is maybe the the main thing that your audience can can take away, the listeners can take away is look. Whenever you talk to somebody, uh, a lawmaker, a policymaker, a decision maker, or if you work in a technology company, you know, tell these people that when these systems don't allow your control of your data, a lot of people will stay away and not get needed treatment, and that causes bad outcomes. We do not want, we do not want technology that causes bad outcomes because what we really need is new technologies to be put in place that put us back in control. We can have, if you can, if you, you can, I guess I could say it this way, we can have our cake and eat it too. We just need smart technologies that put us in control and so that we can stop the information from going to the wrong people for the wrong reasons. All the time. Exactly. And, you know, I know you know who Ann Kavukian is. The, yes. And she's so wonderful. She talks about, and we always really promote the privacy by design. So all of these systems that were put into place in HIPAA, nobody built into the technology or into the architecture of all these systems, privacy first. 
So, I mean, it, it could have been that now it has to be privacy by redesign. And it's it's just like the cat's out of the bag. How do you put it back in? It, it's actually it's actually not hard to put it back in. Oh. In fact, um, well, let, let me just uh, talk to you a little bit about it. So, um, because our health information is so valuable, it's essentially uh, siloed. It's it's stuck in various institutions that want to control it. So there there are, and I'm sure the audience has begun to hear. The doctors and the hospitals can't talk to each other because the systems are not interoperable. The, the thing is, is the hospitals and the data holders don't want the systems to be interoperable. They don't want the data to flow because then they're afraid they're going to lose you as a patient or they're going to lose your valuable information, which, which they may well sell. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, what we can, so because they don't actually want to uh, exchange data or lose track of your data or give it away or sell it. It turns out that creating legal agreements between these different players in the healthcare system is enormously expensive. Mm. They, the kind of you know, agreements and contracts they have to lock each other into to be willing to share data are, you know, are, are expensive, time-consuming, and cause delays. So it turns out that actually the cheapest and quickest way for your data to move from one place to another is, if you say so, is with patient consent. Right. If patients move their data to the doctors and hospitals that they want to be treated at, then all of those expensive agreements go away. They're not needed. It's a, it's a massive cost to the healthcare system, and it and the way to make the data flow for the reasons we want it to, like how about getting help. Right, right. I'm not participating in a clinical trial. Right. We, no one disputes, we have absolute rights to send our data from one place to another. So what can be done to fix the system is beginning, is beginning to happen. There's a project called Direct Secure Email. And so we should be able to use our email address as our way of identifying ourselves to the hospitals, to the doctors, whatever, and communicate with them via direct secure email to, uh, to send our data back and forth. And, and your audience may have heard, too, another step toward our control is mandated in some new federal rules called meaningful use. And, and that step is that we're supposed to be able to get downloads of all of our health data from the systems that hold electronic records about us. That that is supposed to come about very soon. This project was first, first gained a lot of uh, attention uh, when the Veterans Administration put it in effect. It was called Blue Button. Hmm. So veterans can sign in and they can get what are called Blue Button downloads of their data. And when they put this in, the VA was amazed. A million people downloaded their records. People really want to see what's in their records. Right. As well they should because they're often filled with errors. Right. And who has more, who has more interest in correcting them than you, right? Yes. Um, but in fact, um, actually a hospital here in Texas was doing Blue Button long before that, MD Anderson Cancer Hospital. Mm-hmm. They started this, uh, I, in fact, I don't even know why they, they never advertised it, but they always believed that, it, that patients should see everything. In fact, Back when they had paper records and someone was in MD Anderson, and a lab, the lab data and all the records were kept at the foot of the patient's bed, 
And so the patient could see their, their new lab report before the doctor. So they always had the attitude that care would be better. Patients would understand better, would be able to ask questions better, would be able to, you know, participate in their care if they knew what was going on. So, you know, they're... I just, I guess I didn't actually mean to plug MD Anderson, but no. they have the right idea. Yeah. They've had yeah. the right idea. When people have something really awful going on medically, to be able to see what's going on and know it at the same time or even before their doctors is, is, a, is, a, is critical to the bond between the doctors and the patients, and it really helps improve care and the patient's well-being. So. And and you know also, Dr. Peel, when you brought up before about there's so many errors, yeah. if the patient himself or herself is going to know if there's errors or if there's somebody who has used their identity to get health care, and so if they get all of this documentation, they can look for those errors and they can see what's on there. I mean, exactly. they, and, you know, exactly. if you have an error in your you know, the wrong blood type or something else, it could be really life-threatening. Absolutely it could. Absolutely it could. And, yeah, and, and what you're talking about, patient safety, is another key reason why we should decide who can see and use our, our information, who can yes. collect it in the first place. Because when it, flows, when it flows anywhere and everywhere and thousands of people have access to it, uh, you know, no telling who can steal your insurance card number Right. Uh, go get care in another state, and then who knows how you, if you'll ever be able to get that information out of your record. If we can prevent our information from going to places we've never heard of, yeah. it'll go a long way. We need, in other words, if we can close the barn door before the horses get out, yeah. we're in a better situation than trying to chase them down. And, and that's where we are today. We, we don't even know where our data is today. Uh, I, you know, I, one of the ways that I talk about it is, we need a chain of custody, yes. a chain of custody for our health information. We don't have it, and I think everyone understands this. We all love those crime shows. They know who's touched every piece of evidence. We don't know anything about anything. Right. In, in fact, that's the one part of the technology portion of the stimulus bill that was passed in 2009 that the government still has not written rules about. Mm. This is called the Accounting of Disclosures. It was, it was our organization and our bipartisan coalition that worked really hard so that since we cannot yet control our data, we should at least be able to see who got it right. and why, right? Right, right? So that's an accounting of disclosures. We're supposed to be able to have three years' worth of an accounting of all uses of our information. And guess what? Uh, industry woke up, and they really don't want us to see that. Hmm. So uh, we still don't have a way to do that. You know, even though it's been a loss since 2009, your listeners may be surprised to know that even though a law is put in place, the industry doesn't do anything until the regulations that tell them how to do it yes. are written. And so that's what we're faced with, and we don't even know when those regulations are coming and, out. And who's creating those regulations at the federal government? Is it, is it the Department of Health? or It's... it's um, I'm uh, blanking at the moment. It's either Health and Human Services, the federal agency, or right. the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. Sometimes the the regs come out of one, you know, one or the other because uh, obviously Medicare and Medicaid uh, 
you know, do a lot of work on health. Right, right. <laughs> That's what they're about. Right. Those are health care programs. So, so it's one of those two agencies, and I can check yeah. back with you. I know that the the one good thing about having these electronic records is now, and this this is something because we yeah. I don't have access to all my records, but yeah. now whenever I go to the doctor, I because I see them with their little iPads, yeah. I ask them if they could just print off my record for me. Are they doing that? Yes, they are. Good for them. Yeah, yeah. And so that's good really good. And then this yeah. one, and when you were talking about these secure sites, yes. I have another doctor, my orthopedic surgeon, that's yeah. what they did set up. So I have a special portal mm-hmm. that I can go into for appointments and other things mm-hmm. that deals with that. And I haven't seen my medical records in there, but I am going to be going back for my foot. So I will be asking about that. So yeah. that, that's really good. Yes. That's, and you should be, even be able to get copies of your own x-rays. Yes. You yes. should be able to get everything. That that that's one of the good things in the uh in the rules that were just released, it, you know, that any type of data set uh that's held, you should be able to get copies of that data. So that will include, you know, labs and x-rays and and uh, you know, more than just um if you will the diagnoses and the medical jargon and so forth and medicine. So now, so let me ask you something, Deborah. You're you're a physician. Yes. And how do when you speak with other physicians, what are their thoughts on all this? I know you're a, a very good privacy advocate, and you come from being a, a psychiatrist and a yeah. psychoanalyst. So of course yeah. you have a, a high duty to keep confidences due. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what are what are the thoughts? Do you think from like the AMA and you know the different medical associations. It, it they're they're actually um, kind of all over the board. The AMA, unfortunately, often sounds like um, they're going to redo the AMA Code of Medical Ethics based on the Hippocratic Oath, oh, which is that uh-huh. we don't disclose anything sensitive without the person's consent. Meaningful understanding of what it means to disclose. Right. Um, because there are factions of the American Medical Association that foolishly claim that uh, physicians need to see the entire record, mm. patient's entire record, and uh, they shouldn't have to ask consent. I, I don't know what they're talking about. I mean, some of these people like emergency room doctors uh, think they need to see everything. That could be a rare case where they might. Yes. Yeah. On the other hand, it might depend what what emergency you're in there for. Right. Well, let me just explain. I, you know, during my residency and later, I actually ran emergency rooms. You know, and I, and in the in the one in ten million case where you come in unconscious, yeah, and you can't speak, I guarantee you will violate your privacy to save your life. Right. <laughs> Saving right, a right. life is the highest is the highest deal. We'll search your pockets. We'll call your mother. Yeah. We'll ask the friend that brought you. We'll do everything we can to get information about you. Of course. But in most situations, doctors absolutely do not need to know everything. And so, you know, for example, what you tell, like you were talking about your orthopedic doctor, or you broke a bone or something, mm-hmm. what you tell him or her is a lot different than you might tell your marital therapist. Right. It's a lot different than what you might talk to your gynecologist about. Exactly. You know, all doctors, this is the funny part, 
they really should not want to get all information. What they should want is all relevant information. Because exactly. the, there's a liability problem they haven't woken up to. If you get everything, you're liable for knowing everything and appropriately acting on it. Yeah. And if you get a bunch of information that, you know, that's out of your specialty or you don't know exactly the right thing to do, and then you don't do it, you could be liable. And so the point really is, is what's needed is relevant information. And physicians know what's relevant. This is the other thing. The designers of these systems were primarily not physicians. They don't know how physicians think. Right. So a physician in internal medicine, if you come in and, you know, you're feeling listless and you're not sleeping and you're losing weight, they're going to know what kind of questions to ask you to try to figure out, gosh, is it hormonal or could it be psychiatric, like a depression? Right. I mean, right. doctors aren't stupid. The point of going to medical school is actually to learn what questions to ask to figure out exactly what the problem is. And so um, if you, you know, you, and this is what patients do when they go see doctors. We tell them what we think, you know, is going on. And then they say, well, what about this or what about that? Right. Or have you ever taken this or did you ever uh, travel to a third world country? Or You know what I'm saying. Right. So um, we tell them what we think is relevant. And they went to medical school to learn to ask us what we might leave out or have forgotten or have not known was relevant. So, you know, again, the point of the physician-patient visit is to figure out the relevant information. Right, because you don't spend that much time anyway. If I go in for an eye problem, I don't want them talking about my foot, my broken foot. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense. Exactly, exactly. And, And that's why part of what we're... We have a five-year plan to fix this mess and to move the system back from corporate and institutional control of our health information to personal control, patient control of health information. One part of it would be we need a place to set our own rules about how our information should be used, and we call them independent consent management tools or services. So we should be able to to write down, or, you know, or check boxes that say, you know, okay, if I'm seen in the healthcare system, uh, I want a copy of what happened to be put in my health record bank account. I right. want a copy of it to go to my uh, medical home, my internist or my family practice doctor, my gynecologist. Uh, I want all of my other doctors to know if I develop an allergy. I want all of them to know if I've had a medication change, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, so that, you know, so that the basic stuff that matters goes to the ones that it matters most to and not to anyone else. And, and we could also set up rules, uh, ping me on my cell phone um, if you want to use my data for research into juvenile diabetes because that runs in my family. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, or some other disease. And, and I realize, and I'm sure your listeners realize, I'm talking about something that's kind of complex, these sort of tools, but they should be very intuitive. They should be interactive. It should be that if you click on something you don't understand, it tells you more, uh, and you should be able to change them instantly. And even though it sounds daunting, oh, my God, how would I think of all these rules, we could have organizations like Patient Privacy Rights or the American Diabetes Association recommend sort of defaults 
to start you with. You know, you can yeah, say, well, to give you help, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, so or examples of other people and why they made the choices they did about about the rules they set up. So, so even though it sounds kind of daunting, if it's if it's done right technically, you know, it it would be very intuitive and very understandable and makes sense to everybody. Well, Deborah, we are out of time. Why don't you give the website for the summit and give your website too, so people yeah. can sure. learn more about this because we are really out of time. Okay, okay. Uh, the website is www.patientprivacyrights.org.org. The summit, which anyone can watch live streaming free, uh, if you register at www.healthprivacysummit.org. And we're going to be discussing, for example, all of the technologies today that put us back in control. We're going to talk about all the solutions and all the good stuff, well, not just the problems. You are terrific. Dr. Deborah Peel, we will have you back again. And thanks so much for all the wonderful work that you're doing. You are terrific. Thank you. Thank you, Mari. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. for Privacy Piracy and visit our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy and see our upcoming guests. Download podcasts and tell us what's important to you about privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.